So Pastor Doug is out of town uh, today, and so you are stuck with me this morning. I'm sorry. Are we recording this? We got to make sure we play that for him when he uh, gets back. If you have a Bible today, turn to Daniel chapter 3. Um, we're going to uh, jump there in just a minute, but first I want to, uh, I want to tell you guys a story. Uh, a couple months ago, I was doing some work at um, my, my dad's church over in Azusa. I was, was working in the offices there, and this building is set up as such. In the front of the building, there's some offices, and then in the middle of the building, there's no windows. It's dark, but there's a, that's like their worship center. And then in the back of the building, there's some windows, and it's light, and that's where the bathrooms are. So I'm up in the offices, and to go back to the restrooms, I don't always turn the lights on. I can just walk through. It's dark. I'm a big boy. I'm not scared. Um, and so I'm headed back to the back of the, the office, or to the back of the building to go to the restroom there. And if you can imagine this, I'm in this dark room, and there's light up ahead of me because the windows are coming through in that room back there. It's a doorway. And as I approach the doorway... If you've ever seen, I don't know which Batman movie it is, but there's a Batman movie where he remembers being tormented by this bat as a kid, and it's like the moment he becomes Batman, and there's just this bat flying at his face in slow motion, like whoosh, whoosh. So this is what I'm experiencing. I'm walking to the door, and all of a sudden, this four-foot bat comes flying at my face with every intention of killing me, and I duck real quick, it swoops down at me, and I say some words that were less than glorifying to God in that moment. Um, it's immediately just what came out of my mouth, and I thought if that bat had succeeded in its mission to end my life, those would have been my last words. My famous last words, all of my life would have been summed up into that moment. Scientists say that... Uh, Thank God it didn't, it didn't uh, you know, complete its mission. I am here to, to stand here today and tell you about this story. God is good. I survived. Scientists say that the, that fight or flight feeling that you have, that I had in that moment, can actually help you uh, when you come to a critical moment in your life, when you, when you have this choice to either stand up and do something or to sit back and do nothing. Um, I obviously was the latter part of the fight or flight. I just ran towards the back, bolted out the door, and called my dad and said, you have a problem you have to deal with. <laughs> um, so we've seen these critical moments in history when some of the most courageous words that were ever spoken were spoken because individuals had this choice to stand up and do something or to say something. I've entitled the message today, Famous Last Words, and I'm not... Um, I'm not necessarily referring to words that someone might utter on their deathbed or words like we saw in the video. That's why it doesn't really connect, but those are the words that imply like, okay, he's about to do something stupid and die. Um, not those famous last words. Not words of reaction that might slid, slip out of your mouth when you're faced with a life or death situation, but words that might be spoken in a moment where wisdom comes through especially when one is under pressure. I think of uh, the movie Braveheart, William Wallace. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our... I knew you wouldn't let me down. 
uh, Martin Luther King Jr., his I Have a Dream speech, Abraham Lincoln, the Gettysburg Address. How about the words at the climax of all of human history when we were at our weakest moment when Christ went to the cross to pay a price for our sins that we couldn't pay, and he said, it is finished. Instead of doing nothing, he stood up and he paid for our sins. So I want to pose this question to us today. When pressure is applied to your life, how do you respond? When you can either sit down or stand up, what comes out of your mouth? I'm not talking about when you stub your toe and drop one, um, or when a bat the size of a small child is trying to kill you. Um, I'm talking about pressure. When there's a global pandemic coming at you, when you find out someone you love has passed away. When your bills are due and the amount is bigger than the amount in your account. When the result of that biopsy is cancer. How do you respond? Because how you respond in those moments, it can determine the stories that we will one day tell. They're the, the fiber of our very testimony and they can even become our famous last words, our legacy. So I want to take a look at an example in scripture today um, that perhaps shows us how we are to respond when pressure is applied to our lives. Um, before I jump in, we're going to jump into Daniel 3, verse 13, but let me just give you some context here. Israel is living in captivity to Babylon. Uh, Babylon is powerful. Babylon is gangster. They're not to be messed with. They're in control, and their king is Nebuchadnezzar. Um, the king had some Jewish men exiled from Israel and taken to Babylon, the, the cultural center of their empire. And he had them there for three years to learn the culture and to, to adapt and assimilate so that they could hopefully rise to the top and be leaders in his kingdom. Um, among them were Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who you probably know better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That is their Babylonian names. So King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and no one could interpret it. In fact, he didn't even tell them what the dream was. He tried to get all his wise men and all his crazy mag magicians and everybody to say, I had this dream, and if you're really who you say you are, you can tell me the dream and then tell me what it means, and none of them could do it. And so he sent to have all of them killed, and this included Daniel and his three friends, but they were never given the opportunity to tell the dream in the first place. So Daniel says, hold on, I'll ask God and he'll tell me. And so he does, God tells him the dream, he goes and tells King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar is blown away and he says, okay, Daniel, I'm going to promote you, I'm going to give you a bunch of riches. Um, and Daniel's like, cool, I want to bring my friends with me, and you, can you promote them too? So he makes them the administrators over the whole uh, province of Babylon, and then, and he's like, by the way, your God is great. This is awesome. And then shortly after, literally the next chapter, he's like, I'm going to build a great golden idol and require everyone to bow down and worship it. When they hear the music, if you don't bow down right away and worship this idol, uh, then you will be killed. And so there's this big dedication ceremony and um, these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not bow down, and these Jewish boys have some haters, and these haters, the Chaldeans, they go and they tattle on them. So that's where we're going to pick it up. Daniel 3, verse 13, we're going to go through 18. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then these three men were brought to them before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, and the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, that must have sounded interesting, <laughs> to fall down and worship the image that I have made, then very well. He's given them a second chance here. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire, and what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So... There's these three boys, right, and they're captives, and they're doing their best. They're making lemonade out of the lemons they've been given. Their career is advancing. They're actually got some notoriety, and then the king makes this stupid statue, and they're like, crap. What do we do now? Um, yeah, that is, uh, that is, no, that's Hebrew, actually. Um, <laughs> So they have a decision to make. Are they going to bow down or are they going to stand up and do something? And these guys probably grew up in Sunday school with the felt graphs and they were watching their kids' connection videos and they learned all about the one true God, the God of Israel. They remembered all the stories about the children of Israel. The story when Moses came down from the mountain and he had these tablets that God had written on and they had the Ten Commandments on them, and, and they remember that one of them specifically said, we'll jump there real quick, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 4. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So they remember this, and they're like, I'm not, I don't want to mess with that. My God gave me an order not to do exactly this. So they have a choice. They have to respond. Who am I going to worship? Who am I going to worship? I think many of us are faced with that question every single day. Do I respond the way that God wants me to, or do I respond out of emotion or out of practicality? Am I going to be comfortable with who God says I am? Or am I going to change who I am to fit in with the crowd? So they made a choice. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond like this. God is able to save us. He will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, your majesty, we ain't bound down to nothing. So they knew that God was able to save them. And they believed that he would. Maybe all you need to hear today is that God is able to save you. Humor me for a second. Let's, I want to ask you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes and think about God for one second. Think about who he is, what he is. I don't know if you try and get a picture or you just think of truths that you've learned from Scripture. Scripture. 
But I guarantee you, whatever you're thinking right now, he's bigger than that. This is the God that breathes stars into existence. He can cause the sun to stand still. He parted the waters for his people. He created everything in the universe, including that little brain that you're using right now to try and think of an image of him. You just can't do it. You can open your eyes. See, what I'm trying to get across to you is that my God is able to save you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going to face, he is a good God and he is able to save you, and that is a fact. No matter what you're doing, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do, he's a good God, he's able to save you, and that is a fact. Thank you. But let's talk about faith for a minute. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed that God could save them, and they had faith that he would rescue them. They knew this was possible, and they believed it would happen, and yet they went on to say, even if. Maybe you're hanging on for dear life today. Maybe you have faith that God will rescue you, and if you do, that's awesome. I love being in that place, having that kind of faith, but it's, it seems like it can be fleeting sometimes. I'm not always in that spot. I don't always have an even if faith, but I believe this. Before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could say even if, they first had to believe that God is able and that God would rescue them. They didn't just wake up one day saying, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. You know what? If some evil king decides to throw me in a furnace today, I'll be totally cool with it. No big deal. That's not a faith that you just wake up with one day. Am I right? See, if we go back to Daniel 1, you don't have to go there. I'll just, I'll just tell you real quick. In Daniel 1, these guys were put into a situation where they could make a little compromise or they could still continue to honor God. And they were given the king's choice food, and it had been sacrificed to idols, and that was against the Mosaic law, and it was against their religion, and against how God called them to live. And so, rather than compromising and eating this food, they challenged the king's men, and they said, you guys can eat the king's food, all the bacon and tacos and Chick-fil-A. We're going to eat vegetables and water. Just give us vegetables and water. And after 10 days... We'll see who's stronger. We'll compare. So they, after 10 days, they put on some spandex, get all oiled up, go on the stage, and have a bodybuilding comp. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Scripture tells us that after the 10 days, they looked better, were in better shape. My Bible actually says fatter. And I don't know what kind of time they were living in, but you know how many times I've asked God, like, why can't vegetables make us fat and Chick-fil-A make us skinny? But... He answered their prayer. He's like, cool, no problem. These guys eating the king's food, no good. You guys, vegetables, water, jacked. So here's the point, though. They could have just made this little compromise. It it probably, not a lot of people would have even realized or known that they were doing something wrong. I bet you that food smelled and tasted good. They could have just been like, don't tell anybody, we'll be fine. But they said no. 
We're going to be faithful to God because he's been faithful to us. See, it's the small steps of obedience before the trial that built their courageous faith that they had in the trial. If we're talking about faith, we've got to go to Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance that what you hope for is true. It's having confidence in the things that you can't see. And if it's what we hope for, then that means there's a gap between where we are and where we hope to be. Sometimes it's not enough to just hope it in your head or have blind faith. You have to, sometimes it takes looking back on your lives and seeing how, God, how good God has been, and you don't just wake up with this even-if kind of faith. If you did, it would be a blind faith. It's not reasonable. When I go on a diet, I tell myself, okay, Ricky, you're on a diet. I eat a piece of broccoli, and I expect to wake up with a six-pack of abs and some jacked arms. But it rarely works that way. And how come, by the way, this is not related, but how come the second you tell yourself you're on a diet, you would kill for a mini-sized Snickers? I can go six months without eating one of those, but the second I tell my, anyways, completely unrelated. Well, we're on the topic. Can I, yeah, can I get an amen? Um, here's the point. That's not how it works. You can't just eat a piece of broccoli and be good. You have to, that's blind faith. Faith is based in reality. Faith is not believing against the evidence or believing without evidence. Faith is trusting in God in light of what we have reason to believe is true. So they had reason to believe because they had the evidence of God's faithfulness in their lives. When they, when they did things like take a step of faith and say, no, we're not going to go against our God and eat your food, they were building their faith. They saw God come through for them. When they said that, no, we're not going to eat that food. How about you give us something else? Those guys could have just chopped their heads off and be like, okay, how about no? Um, but God, it says that God changed their hearts, and he gave them favor. So they took a step of faith, and God said, okay, I got you. It takes steps of faith to have that kind of faith. So you might want to ask yourself, what are you going to what are you going through today that's preparing you for something you can't see down the line? I've heard it said that previous obedience is what leads to your current blessing. Don't wait till Monday to eat healthy. Eat healthy today. Don't, I, I, it sounds like a Jenny Craig commercial, right? <laughs> My subconscious thoughts are coming through. Um, don't wait till next year to start saving for retirement. Start saving today. Don't wait till you find the right guy or girl to marry to start living a pure life. Start living a pure life now. It's simple principles. If you put it off till tomorrow, you'll keep putting it off till tomorrow. Don't worship God only when things are good in your circumstances. Worship God today, whether they're good or they're not. Amen? Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. They trained for the trial that they were not yet in. But what do we do when God doesn't come through the way that we expect him to? I have this friend that's, uh, he's about 20 years older than me. He's uh, 
city councilman for the city of Azusa. He's an officer in the Navy Reserve. He's a combat veteran who served in Afghanistan. Um, I've, I've had the privilege of working in marketing on his campaigns in, over the last several years. Um, when, our, when we launched our young adult ministry here at Grace Fellowship, we decided to take uh, the young adults on a retreat to get to know each other. And so I posted on Facebook, hey, anybody have a cabin that we could use for cheap or free? Uh, and within seconds, he texted me. He's like, I don't know what you need it for, but here's the keys. No problem. Um, sometimes he would need help with something, and I'd be just driving somewhere. He'd be like, hey, come over real quick. I'd just stop and help him. We just had this cool relationship. Um, we would, most of the time, what we did is just hang out on his patio and talk. And over the past year or so, I really, I really just got this sense that God was working on his heart. We'd have conversations about how things were going, and he would share with me what he was struggling with, and I'd be able to share with him the hope that I have and how God has been faithful to me and, and how he's got me through things, and I'd give him advice, and he wouldn't follow it, and um, he'd make very public not-followings of my advice. And, uh, but I've seen this type of thing happen before. I was getting this sense that, you know, I've had friends or family where I start seeing something in their lives, and they're asking questions, and they're they're searching. You can tell that they're hungry and that God might be drawing near to them, and they may be drawing near to God. And I, I'm just getting this sense, and I'm thinking, you know what? This guy's going to follow Jesus. I know it. Pretty soon, I'm going to look out on a Sunday morning, and, and he's actually going to be here. Because I'd invite him all the time. He'd be like, oh, I'll be there. And then he'd be like, oh, maybe next week. Um, and so I knew he was going to end up following Jesus. It was just a matter of time. But we don't always have time. In fact, if you're on the fence about this whole Jesus thing, let me tell you right now, Jesus is able to save you. Through the power of what he did on the cross, God can reconcile you to him. He can save your life. He can bring you to a relationship with him. He can redeem you, give you a hope and a future. So if you are questioning that today, come find me after the service. Let's talk about it. I had to get that out because you don't always have time. Two weeks ago, I got a call that he had a heart attack and he died. He never had any heart issues. He was a healthy guy. He was always working out. And I was so bummed, not just because I lost my friend, but man, that's not how I saw this going. He was going to be a disciple. He was going to lead people to Jesus, and I was excited about that. That's what I expected God to do. I knew he was capable. Now, I don't know what was actually going on in his heart. Maybe he's in glory right now, but it just I was disappointed. I was kind of angry. And maybe many of you have been going through the same thing, or you've gone through something like that before. Even if you just experience loss, when you lose a friend or a loved one, Maybe you've lost your job or you're fighting to keep your job. Maybe you're sick. I don't know what everyone's going through, but I do know that many of us, most of the time, seem to be experiencing some sort of pain or suffering or pressure. It's all but promised to us in Scripture. So how do you respond when God doesn't come through the way that you expected him to? Our human instinct is not typically to stand up and praise him. 
When times get tough, it's, it's not always easy to stand up and say, God is great, God is good. It can be hard to believe that blessed is the man who remains steadfast in trials. It's hard to count it all joy when you experience various trials and suffering, but anytime you're in a trial, the devil will try and get you to question God's character, and he did it with Jesus in the wilderness. He did it with him again in the garden, trying to get him to question his father. The devil would love to get you to do the same thing, to question God when you're in the middle of your trial and you're in the middle of your pain. If God was really good, he would have saved my friend from passing. He would have healed my family member from cancer. He would have gotten rid of COVID a year and a half ago. Can I get an amen? You'd still have your job if God was really good. But the question is never if God is good. But because he is good, we can believe that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. According to, and have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. We can believe that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. We can believe that the, the, thief, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but hello. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. There's a difference between hurting and hurting when you have hope. We might hurt, but we get to hurt with hope. We believe God at his word. We cling to these promises. And it may not look good now, but we trust that God is in control. He has a plan and a purpose, and he is good. And having an even-if kind of faith won't change your circumstances, but it will help you get through them. So you've got to remember God's promises. And by the way, in order to remember them, you have to learn them. You have to read this book and get them into your heart. You think they were thinking about, you think the, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thinking about God's promises? You think they were remembering? Like in Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. Let's get there real quick. It's just a couple of books to the left of Daniel. The prophet Isaiah says, But now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, Savior of Israel. They believed. God had proved himself to be faithful to Israel. He had made promises to them, and they were ready to be faithful to God. I'd imagine they thought if God could give Abraham a child when Sarah's womb is all but dead, he can save us right now. If he could split the Red Sea for the children of Israel, then he can save us right now. If, if a bunch of people can walk around a building and blow some horns and it falls down, then he can save us right now. We always seem to be begging God for a miracle outside of the fire before it gets that far. But y'all, sometimes the, the miracle is in the fire. We always think, God, deliver us from this. We never think, God, let's do this. Walk through it with me. When I look back on my life, I see time and time again where Jesus didn't keep me from the fire. He walked me through it. 
And I believe that God is looking for a church today that has an even if kind of faith. Even if COVID gets worse, we're not bound down. Even if I'm persecuted from my faith, we're not bound down. Even if that biopsy comes back positive, we're not bound down. Even if I lose my job, we're not bound down. Because you and you alone are good. And we're going to worship you and you alone. We trust you, God. If this type of faith, if we could have this type of faith, I believe that is the type of faith that will have the enemy bowing down to our God. When you remember God's promises, you won't be shaken. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have made their stand. They've said their peace. And we'll pick it up in Daniel chapter 3, verse 19 through 30. I'm always telling Doug, man, you got to watch that clock and, and end on time and stay with it. But he's a pro, right? Like, he should be able to do it. I'm not, so sorry. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men and carried up, the the men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This thing is so hot that even the guys that took them to it died. So they're at their weakest moment at this point. God is able to save us, and he will save us. And here they are getting thrown into the fire. Oops. This is probably where the even if came in. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast and bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governor, all these official guys, um, they, in regard to these men... They saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was their hair of their head even singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered them, or delivered his servants who put them their trust in him. 
violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation or tongue, that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. Inasmuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way, then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. See, just when we think we're alone in our struggle, just when we think we've got the right plan, when we think that God maybe can't hear us because it's not working out, and he didn't give us the miracle we were asking for, it says right there that there was another in the fire. We just sang about that in the song. And in case you didn't know, this is the story that that song is referring to. Many scholars believe that the guy in the furnace who looked like a son of the gods was actually the son of God, Jesus, who came to save them. I love the thought. Like It just makes it more real to me to think that he says they're unbound and walking around. I don't think they got untied. I think the fire was so hot it just burned their th- the things off their hands that were, they, were, they were tied up with, and they didn't even have a, a smell of fire on them. See, God is with you in every situation, and just as he was with them in the fire, he's with you right now. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going to go through, where you're headed, he's with you. Pastor Doug says this all the time. Stop looking at God in light of your circumstances, and start looking at your circumstances in light of who God is. Sometimes we want him to deliver us from the trial when all he wants to do is walk through it with us. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I believe that. You guys believe that? I heard a quote that really sums it up, I think. Sometimes the clearest evidence that God has not deserted you is not that you are successfully past your trial, but that you are still on your feet in the middle of it. If you're not dead, God's not done. This past year and a half has been tough for most, if not all of us, and it doesn't look like this craziness is going to end anytime soon, but I'll tell you this, he can use your story, he can use your pain, and he wants you to be faithful and trust him when the pressure's put on. You've got to trust him, you've got to say yes to his plan for your life every single day. And remember, it's the small steps of obedience before the trial that gave them the courageous faith that they needed in the trial. Let's pray. God, you know everyone's situation, Lord. You know that even for some, something that seems trivial to another is the most hard thing to deal with. It, is, it feels like so much pressure, and God, we can get so discouraged, and we can get so, we can feel so alone and think that you're not listening or you don't hear us, but we know, God, that you are faithful. God, that you are good, and I pray this morning that you would give us a second win, Lord. Help us to remember and realize that the best is yet to come, that we're not defined by our lowest moment, but we're defined by who you say we are, and that we are children of the Most High King, the creator of the universe, who is in control and who is good and faithful. God, where we might see a garden, or where we might see a grave, you see a garden, and I pray that we would align ourselves with that understanding that it doesn't matter what things look like because you're in control. 
that we wouldn't look at our circumstances and think poorly of you, but God, we would look at our, our we would look at you and think poorly of our circumstances and think, God, you are going to come through with your plan. And whatever that plan may be, whether it be trials or suffering, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remain steadfast. We ask for your help in this, Lord. We ask for your courage, for your faith.